Are you struggling to make your first 100K or next? Are you pretending you're successful but barely getting by? Are you tired of comparing yourself to millionaires and billionaires who make it look so easy? Welcome to First 100K, the number one entrepreneur voice in America. I talk about the important things that no one else is talking about, like how to make your first $100,000, because I believe this is where 90% of entrepreneurs get stuck. And I tackle the mental game of entrepreneurship that we all secretly struggle with but won't admit. My guests are successful entrepreneurs who share their mistakes, their number one fears, their daily habits, and their superpowers that push them over the 100K mark. I'm your host, your coach, your friend, Joseph Warren. I'm also a 10-time failed entrepreneur and the owner of two co-working spaces here in Tampa, Florida. This show was created for you, the entrepreneur who's pushing to break through the elusive 100K milestone. Wherever you are in your business, you're just 100K away. Today, my featured guest is Vicki Gould. She is a storytelling, marketing, and book coach. Using her signature holistic strategy and her storytelling superpowers, she helps her clients write best-selling books that share their stories impactfully, grow their reach worldwide, create more impact and legacy, and turn readers into clients while they sleep. Vicki is the author of 10 international best-selling books like Easy Writer, and Standing in the Gap, and has also helped 101 uh, other authors become worldwide best-selling authors. She has been seen on ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox, Entrepreneur.com, HuffPost, TEDx U of M, and featured alongside great thought leaders like Lisa Nicholas, Joe Vitale, and T. Arv Hecker. Vicki lives in Michigan with her husband and three children and is obsessed with shoes enjoys karaoke, dancing, and cooking. You can find her at vickygould.com. That's spelled G-O-U-L-D.com. And she is known as the words lady. And she's going to tell us what that's all about. Vicky, yes. welcome to your first 100K. Go ahead Thank and you. fill in some of the gaps in that intro, would you? Yeah, thanks so much. So actually, since I sent you that information, I have four more best-selling authors that launched their books during a pandemic well, and excuse they all got me. to number one. <laughs> wow, that's one, awesome. The most recent one was just the 30th. So, you know, just this past weekend. So yeah, it's been really, really exciting to watch them continue to go after what they want, no matter what. Okay. So Vicki, you know, yeah. on this show, I get yes. real, I get raw. It's what yes. I'm known for, but I serve up so much value for my listener and they sit there with a pen and paper and they jot down notes as you're speaking mm -hmm. that they can apply specific strategies into their business. So we're going to get into your specific coaching strategies that you teach authors yeah. on like these last three. How did you get them to number one status during a pandemic, mm -hmm. best-selling status? Like, you know how many people are listening right now and are like, please tell me how. I'm tired of ordering all the courses. I'm tired of reading the eBooks. Like yeah. someone just stop teaching me the theory and show me the application. How do I actually do this? I'm willing to do the work. What do you want to yeah. say to them right now? Goodness, um, you got to really want to do the work. You got to really decide that this is what you want because 
what is the percentage, like 80%, 90% of people actually quit? You, you, when you choose the goal, you choose the journey that goes with that goal. And you can't leapfrog it and skip stuff. And what I find a lot that people say is like, yeah, you know, I want to have a book, but I don't really necessarily want to do the marketing. I don't necessarily want to continue to do the marketing. And, you know, it seems like it's a lot of hard work. And to that, it's like, you know, it has to be more important than your ego to get this book out. Um, becoming a bestseller doesn't fix imposter syndrome. It doesn't fix any of the stuff that's going through your head. It does improve your credibility. It does improve your expert status. It does all the things, right, that you think that it's going to do. Yes, it does. But if you don't use that book and you're not going to leverage it, it's not worth writing it. So you've got to decide that that book is more than just the book as the project. And you have to really put the right things inside the book. I talk about, you know, there's the inside and the outside of the book. You can get a really crappy book to bestseller if you have a great marketing plan, but then nobody's going to continue to read it. Nobody's going to refer it out. 80% of books are purchased through referral. So if the inside of the book sucks, it's not going to do you any good. And so, you know, you have to have both. You have to have a really great marketing plan and you also have to have really juicy, good content on the inside that's gonna transform your reader. It's not just a memoir. It's just not a brain dump. You know, some people go, oh, just start writing and write whatever. Well, then you just got slips of post-it notes all over your house and you don't really have a book. It's, random thoughts don't magically come together. It's a plan, it's a strategy, and then it's the implementation. Okay, Startup Nation, right out the gate, Vicki drops some wisdom on you. And I quote, when you choose the goal, you choose the journey, which means you choose the work that goes along with it. Mm -hmm. So how do I know? Mm -hmm. I'm speaking on behalf of Startup Nation. How do I know all the work that goes along with it? So how do I know the choice I'm actually making? Like, what does that look like? So speak to our, our listeners right now. Tell them what they're in store for. What's that, that yeah. road to international bestseller workload actually look like? Yeah, well, you know, I also truly believe that we get to choose how we go through any journey that we have. We can decide to be overwhelmed, stressed out, freaked out, thinking, oh my gosh, I've never done this. Or you can choose to do it with ease, flow, grace, and no stress. Like you really do get to choose. And if you trust the process and trust what you're being shown, then you get to choose the latter instead of the former, right? And if I look back at my most successful best-selling authors, they had a drop-dead date that they committed to and they did not budge on it. So number one, don't, don't buy your own excuses. You know, we're so easily manipulated inside our own minds that, oh, you know what, I'll just give myself another two weeks. I'll give myself another month or so. And lo and behold, it's 10 years later and your book is not done. Most of my most successful authors will get their books written in a matter of about eight weeks. And that's because they've decided to dedicate. I even had one mom, her kids were bothering her and she decided that she was gonna hang a, a sign on her walk-in closet. And her walk-in closet was the place that she wrote her book because that was the only peaceful place that she had in her house. So you need to also tell the people around you, this book is really important to me and here are the places that I need you to pick up for the next two months. Like it's not gonna kill your kids. It's not gonna kill your spouse or your partner to help you during this process. And if you share with them why it's important to you, I, I 
kid you not, the kids will go, well, are you done yet? <laughs> and they will be your accountability if you tell them stuff. So first of all, you know, like the drop dead date, it really needs to be important to get that thing done. And then you really need to ask yourself, what is it that I want out of this for myself? What do I want to have for the reader? Because we tend to, as people who want to serve and help, do stuff for other people. And so we're always like, oh, I want to, you know, X, Y, Z, help this in the reader's life, help them with their health, help them with their leadership skills, help them with their mindset, whatever it is. And we forget that that book actually has some value in our life as well, because we feel like maybe it's selfish. Maybe I shouldn't talk about it. Maybe it's ego. Maybe it's all these things. So I always have my clients write out the most selfish reasons why they want to write this book for themselves. And that gets paired with the things that you want to do in the world for other people. Like it can be totally an and thing. It doesn't have to be either or. So take a stand for the and, you get something out of it. And then it has a lot more meaning for you as well. And the things that matter to you are the things that you finish. Mm. So a lot of, a lot of takeaways right there. So the first I got is create a drop dead date and for anything, really a project you're working on or a book you're writing or a new launch that you're doing, mm -hmm. um, a new course you're creating, it really applies to anything. Um, and so many times I've been guilty of exactly what you said and oh, I give myself a little extra grace. It's yeah. like, oh, I just had a new baby. Yeah. Oh, there's a pandemic, you know, mm -hmm. it's kind of like impacting everyone. I have a, <laughs> I have a global excuse now. Nobody's yes. going to blame me for like, you know, just crossing over that drop dead date. Uh, and so many times I give myself excuses with that and, mm -hmm. and looking back, it never got done. Yeah. That's the main thing. It never got done. And every time we look back on our life and we see something that is incomplete, mm -hmm. that we never finished, yeah. we start to stack failures one on top of the other, don't we? Mm -hmm. And then you stop trusting yourself. You stop trusting yourself. Mm -hmm. And then when it is time to move on that thing you really want to do, now you're wrestling with self-doubt all these insecurities because yeah. you don't trust yourself. It's really no, well people, people, when they're buying stuff, right? It, it, people think, oh, well, they don't trust me or they don't trust my product. It's, it's not that. A lot of times people don't buy what you're selling because they don't trust themselves. They don't trust themselves that they're making they're the gonna right decision? They know that they're going to follow through. Ah, so it has nothing to do with you, the author, why they don't buy your product. It has to everything to do with they don't think they're going to follow through because they didn't follow through on the last five things. Or they don't believe they can do it, right? They, they either don't, mm. they don't believe that the process is something they can do or they don't trust themselves to follow through with it. So how do you get past that with them when you're an author and you're writing to them? Mm -hmm. Do you just make it stupid simple? Like, hey, here's the, five, <laughs> here's the five minute method, the five minute cure. Anyone can do it, even you, right? How do you do that? Well, you know, you do want to keep it simple. You don't want to overload. Like I, I'm one of those people who loves to be fire host. I'm just a knowledge seeker and I just gobble things up. But the majority of the world I have come to find out do not enjoy that. And when you overwhelm somebody with all this knowledge and all this information inside your book because you want to make sure you're giving value and more value and more value, sometimes, you know, there's a tipping point, right? Where you've given so much that they're just like, I can't do this. This is just way too overwhelming and it's too much. So you have to take that into consideration. You know, your book needs to be 
a first step. It needs to be the precursor to your programs, your services, and other things like that. Some of my clients have first come to me and they were like, okay, well, I do this class, I do this, um, I have this course, I'm just gonna summarize, put all this stuff in my book and you know, it's gonna, okay, you just now eliminated your course. Now, as a business owner, you don't really wanna do that, but number two, number two point is, if you do that, they are more, most likely not going to implement, not gonna succeed. Most people do need some sort of accountability. So you can't overburden their brain. <laughs> I, mm. I don't want, you can't overgive, right? Like I'm not talking about, you know, don't give away stuff, don't be value packed, but there's a point that you overload their brain. You know what I mean? I do. And, and that creates a, a, a type of stress right. or anxiety and overwhelm mm. and their lives mm. are already right. those things. Yeah. So yeah. the last thing they want is to read your book and, and feel stressed. What's that saying? People don't remember what you say. They remember how you make them feel. Exactly. And your book needs to be an experience. It's not just a good read. It's not just your memoir, like cool story, but you really need to layer it with something that they can walk away with. Even if you're telling somebody a story about you, that story needs to be about them. How do they apply it to their lives? How can that be an improvement in their life? And I talk about the book kind of like, a, you know, Disney. Disney sells tickets, but they don't sell tickets, right? The, the thing you're buying is a ticket, but they're selling an experience. If you watch any of their commercials, any of the things that Disney puts out, even their app is the Disney experience. They could, they could have named their app your Disney ticket, your park pass, right? But they, they named it your Disney experience. Why? Because people buy experiences and they wanna share those experiences and they wanna repeat those experiences. And so that's what you wanna make sure your book is. It's, it's not just, oh, bunch of valuable information, really great story. You need to layer it so it's an experience, like you said, that they feel something with. Hmm. That seems so, so uh, intangible. Uh-huh. Like, how do I do that with my book, my program, yeah. right? And I'm speaking yeah. on behalf of you, Startup Nation, because yeah. yeah. I know you have these questions. So you have a, a course, you have a product, you are a coach, and you want to give the first step, mm-hmm. right? Like Vicky's saying, how do you turn that process? Okay, here's my step one, go do this. How do you turn that into an experience? And yeah. not just any experience, but an experience that they actually want, Mm-hmm. Well, it goes back to what you were talking about with the, the you know, they don't, they don't know that you care until, you know, all that stuff. I just butchered that total quote, whatever that quote is. People um, don't care what you know until they know what you, how much exactly, you care. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's all about that. Um, it's in the stories. You know, I'm a storytelling coach. Um, and when you can tell the story like they feel like they're in it and you get them, that becomes the experience. Can you give me an example? Can you give me a two minute story? I just put you on the spot. Any two minute story could be one of your author's stories that you remember and you're like, man, that was so great. Or it's your own personal, you put in a book, but give us an actual example that we can kind of like blueprint and say, oh, I could do it that easy. Yeah. So um, before I get into that, Think of it as in, you know, when you go to that movie and you feel like you're in the scene with them, you're with them, right? And you're at that movie and you're like, oh, crap, it's over. Now I got to wait for part two. That's how you want to make them feel. It's in the magic of the storytelling. And we so often think that we need to look smart, um, prove our value, prove our worth, 
you put all this, you know, linear stuff in it, for lack of a better word, you know, teach them something where it's really more about the story. So, you know, back in 2009, I was diagnosed with chronic Lyme disease and the doctor, he spun around in that chair and he looked at me and he said, Vicki, your life's not getting any better. You're going to have to suck it up and accept it. And I remember thinking at that time, is that really true? Could this really be like, I wasn't even 40 yet. And this man's telling me I'm going to spend 16 to 18 hours in bed for the rest of my life. And that day I was so upset about that. I called my sister and I said to her, you know what, if Lyme disease takes me, you've got to promise me that you will teach my kids what I haven't been able to teach them. I was watching them grow up by the side of my bed and my little guy, he would come to me. And at the time he was just like, you know, nine or so. And he would just actually less, um, but his little chubby cheeks. He would just come to me at, at my bedside and he'd go, mama, can you come to my school party? And I'd look at down, down at him and be like, baby, mama's really just not up to it. And he'd crawl into bed with me and snuggle with me. And I'd watch as that look of hopefulness in his life, eyes just turned to sadness. I remember thinking, does he know how much I love him? Is he going to, you know, grow up to resent me? Does he know how much my heart hurts to tell him no? And you th see, the thing was, I started at that time to contemplate suicide. But I didn't really want life to end. I just wanted the misery to end. I didn't want to stop. I, I didn't want to continue to lay on the bathroom floor in the middle of the night on the cold cement, <laughs> little, little rug, crying because I didn't want to wake my husband up. And life went on like this, 1,776 days. From sunup to sundown, I was in too much pain, brain fog, and I couldn't do anything. I felt like a loser wife, a loser mom. And there came a day that I said to myself, you know what? I want to meet my future grandchildren, not just play with them. I want to get out and run with them. You know, I don't want to just sit there and watch them. I want to play and run and, and be active. But I knew the way things were going, that wasn't going to happen. I started reading some books about people who had Crohn's disease and cancer and things that were incurable, and their doctors told them the same thing. And I said, wait a minute. They didn't have to obey that diagnosis. Why do I have to do that too? So I started doing research and all those other things and did crazy things I never told my doctor that I did. I became a master herbalist in, in the process, and lo and behold, the good days started to outnumber the bad. And I realized that there are so many other people in the world who have stories of struggle, story of triumph, and, and things that can help the world, just like these stories had helped me. And that's why now for me, it's so important to get other people's stories out because I know that those stories are the light, the inspiration, the hope for other people in the world, even if it's just one person. Because I may not be here today if I had not read those very same stories. So that's why I do what I do and help people with their stories to make them things that are going to impact and transform other people's lives. Wow. I think, I think I've we gone over two minutes. I, I think we should stop the show right here. <laughs> Not only was that a masterfully done story, um, but I know it hit me personally because my oldest sister uh, struggles with undiagnosed, diagnosed chronic Lyme's disease, chronic fibromyalgia, fatigue, wow. all this stuff for like 18 years now. And I feel just a sense of powerlessness in 
trying to help her. I've spent tons of money on doctors and other things, trying to assist mm-hmm. her and all the same diagnosis, like you're saying. And just your story alone makes me want to speak with you off camera um, just because you created some hope there. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe there's one little thing we haven't tried, right? Yeah. And that's the power of a story, yeah. a good story. And it was your story and it was real. It didn't feel rehearsed when you said it. It felt like you were present in it. Um, now, you may have said it 482 times already and written it that many times as well, but you could just feel you were, st- you were there. You were in the story. So that's how we should tell stories. That's how we should tell our story. Is that correct? Right. Exactly. And now you want to talk later. <laughs> and that's yeah. what you want to happen too. And I'm not saying it from a, you know, on the one hand, yes, we're in business. We want to make money, obviously. But, you know, I, I know for my clients and me, the, the real thing is about spreading that hope and being there for somebody and changing somebody's life and helping them out of struggles. And I think that's why when people read the books that my authors put out, they get reviews like, oh my gosh, you've totally, you totally understand me. This is exactly what I've been going through. Um, and, you know, where I was talking about the outside of the book is the marketing and you can get anything out there, right? You, but you, you might only get one sale that one time, right? You aren't going to get the repeat sales if the inside is junk. And this is where the, the real impact is made is creating the inside to have that meaning and impact that is going to get somebody to go, oh, that, that's really helping me. I have one last question before we jump into uh, my yeah. favorite part of the show. And that is, I could tell you're a master storyteller. How do you get a novice first time author who maybe doesn't know how to share their feelings and share Mm -hmm. their deep darkness from their past and the trauma and all this other stuff that really is going to be the number one thing that their readers connect with. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to put that on paper. Yeah. How do you get them to do that? It's in storytelling structures. I have three different storytelling structures that I help my clients through throughout their book. The one in particular that I used, actually, the acronym is B-O-O-K. <laughs> um, but one of the really important things when you are telling a story, if I can just give like the top things, yeah, is give us your top three. you want to make sure it evokes a feeling. And you do that by sharing your thoughts, sharing where you were, sharing how it felt, not by just telling somebody something. I didn't say... I felt bad. I told you how bad I felt. One thing you did that so one of my coaches coached me on and I struggled with so much was you not only said, okay, here's, I'm lying on the bed. My son comes to me. He asked me these questions. Can you come to my party, my class thing? I feel like crap about it. Right. But then you shared the actual thoughts in your head. I want to tell him, you know, this thing. I, w- mm-hmm. I wonder if he's going to, you know, grow up and resent me mm-hmm. like the actual thoughts. And, the, yeah. and I used to, I'm like, I don't know how to do that. I just want to say I was sad, period. Yeah. Yeah. How do we, how do we go there? Keep going with your, your three. We top. do need to connect more <laughs> with that emotion. And I, you know, there are some people who just aren't used to that. That's just not how they communicate. Right. Some people are a little better at it. 
and my client, I, the, the one, she just launched her book May the 1st. And we crack up about this because it, the first time she put out her story, I sent her back to the drawing board, gave her some suggestions. She probably came back and forth the 10 times. And that's the thing is it's a skill that can be learned. It's just your willingness to go there, your willingness to take the instruction and your willingness to try it again. You know, um, I'm actually helping my husband with a book and talk about the hardest thing to do, help your spouse. I sent him back probably five times. And the first time I got to tell you, he was like, was it good? You know, and then I would give him the feedback and I tell him which parts were good and, you know, try to encourage him. Second time, well, is it better? The third time, what do you think? You know, by the fifth time, he's like, please tell me that this is it. <laughs> you know? um, but you have to be willing to, and okay to, it's like that journey, right? If you want the end goal, you have to be willing to go through the process and be okay with those things. It's not like English class. We weren't taught this way in English class. We were taught essays about how to write reports on books and theses and, and facts and stuff like that. So this is a little bit different and it may be harder for some people, but it's really connecting with your heart and being vulnerable and saying, you know what, it's okay for me to put myself up out there, even if somebody doesn't like it, even if somebody tells me it's a bunch of crap, even if I'm judged, because we're all being judged every day anyway. Mm. So write a story that creates, a, you know, or evokes an emotion. I really get that. So can men do this as well? And I know that's a simplistic question, but uh, listen, I, you know, I'm a type A, I'm a type A, you know, I have my little control freak that doesn't want to show my vulnerability or show right. I don't know what I'm talking about. And yeah. I know there's plenty of men out there yeah. that are the same way. So do you only work with females mostly or no, I work, I work with men for sure. Um, you know, it's funny that you asked that because initially first out of the gate, you know, my coaching certification program, the women were working with women. It just seemed like the thing to do. And then I had some good friends say to me, you know what, why do all the women just have stuff for women? There's nothing for us men. And why can't we be included? And I said, good point. And so I started to include them. Um, and yeah, so I have quite a number of men who are fantastic authors. Um, and I really think it's a matter of you, you got to go through all of the senses in each of the scenes and scenarios and moments that you have in your life, and then connect to what that really felt for you. And then work on, you know, it is safe to share this with somebody. And it's not a sign of weakness. It doesn't mean anything about me. And I'm, you know, I don't know what the thing is for some people. That's what it is. But um, you got to work on that in order to be able to put the book out there. And it's a good point because if you're not sold out for what you're saying inside the book, or if you're scared to put it out, you may finish your book, but you won't use the book after it's done. Mm. You just described my first book experience. It was seriously, you're so right. It was exactly that. And I remember how scared I was to share my story. And yeah, I shared some of the dark times and the mistakes I made along the, the way entrepreneurial wise, mm -hmm. but also just life wise and bad choices and bad relationships. And I remember when I self published that book, it I felt like I was going out naked into the world, right? Into yep. a up on stage public arena for people to judge me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, and I held back. I held back what you said, um, those inner thoughts. And here's what was I actually was thinking back then. And, yeah. and I believe that's what kept my book. I got 
great compliments. Wow, I felt like I was right there with you, et cetera. But it really kept the book from being great. Yeah. It was a good book. Mm -hmm. But because I held back right. the all, what I was really feeling, what I really didn't want to say, I really believe that kept it from being great. Yeah, so, I, yeah. so I get that. Vicki, we're already out of time. Look at that. <laughs> I mean, really powerful what you're sharing. And um, hopefully Startup Nation, you're getting as much value out of this conversation with Vicki Gould as I am. She is known as the words lady. You can find her at VickiGould.com. That's spelled G-O-U-L-D, Vicki. And, and I-E. <laughs> Thank you. Vicki with an I-E, Gould.com. She made it difficult for you. You got to really want her to find her. <laughs> Right. So that's, that's awesome. Vicki, welcome to my favorite part of the show. Welcome to the hustle round. But before we go there, um, I just wanted to invite Startup Nation. Uh, right now in this pandemic time, many of us are struggling with worry. We're struggling with stress. Uh, many of us are married. We have kids. And it is clear the research shows that stress is the number one marriage killer out there. And if you're struggling with these things, I put together a quick, simple digital product uh, for you um, that's based off of all my spiritual coaching with my clients. And it's a five minute simple strategy on how to reduce your stress and worry in five minutes a day uh, by 90%. And because I really, I see so many people out there that run successful companies and everything, and they're not great people. And then I see all these good, amazing, godly people that are struggling to get by. And I just want to level the playing field a little for you. So if you're struggling with worry or stress or anything like that, uh, go to josephwarren.net. Um, check out that book. See if it's for you. And I hope that can help you. All right, Vicki, welcome to you, my favorite part of the show. Welcome to the hustle round. Uh, I'm going to ask you 10 quick fire questions. You'll have about three seconds to answer each. Uh -oh. It's just for fun. Don't overthink it. Are you ready? It's like family feud. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was a good show. What's your favorite thing about uh, being an entrepreneur, but more specifically about coaching other entrepreneurs to share their story? <laughs> I get to wake up whenever I want to. Yeah. Okay, got that. That was simple. <laughs> What's your least favorite thing? Oh, when they don't like follow through and, you know, it, it's not up to me to make them do that. Mm. I can't own it for them. And doesn't your little control freak inside really uh, want to just control them? Yes, it does. It really does. <laughs> okay. Uh, what are you most afraid of? Ooh, spiders. Spiders. Got it. I believe we're all struggling with something at any moment of our life. Uh, it's just the human condition. What are you struggling with uh, either professionally or personally right now? Oh my gosh. Okay. So everybody else in this quarantine, like we're talking about the quarantine 15. I am an introvert. I never go out and like the quarantine is nothing different for me, but I still gained a whole bunch of weight because all I'm doing is eating all the time. What did you say? It skipped. You gained I, weight? I'm gaining weight and all oh. I'm doing is eating all the time, but I have no excuse because my life has always been this way. Like there's not much of a change. I can't even blame it on the pandemic. Okay. Got it. What did you spend too much time doing uh, your first year in this business? 
watching Netflix. Watching Netflix. <laughs> Listen, I have a brand new baby girl and now it's called baby flicks, right? It's baby binging, right? It's worse than Netflix. It's much more, you know, you watch them cooing and moving and everything is just like so entertaining. It's hilarious. Yeah. How many hours we spend doing it. I know. Uh, what secret fear do you have about people? Ooh, do they really like me or are they faking it? Love that. Man, that was so clear. What do you wish you had learned sooner in your business? Mm. Oh, not to be icky. <laughs> not to be icky. <laughs> Got it. What is a new habit you want to form? Oh, eating better. That goes Got with it. the other question. And what's a bad habit you want to break? Oh, <laughs> I know I have a bad habit. Uh, not being organized. Okay. Pick three yes. words to describe who you are now. Oh, fun, feisty, and fantastic. <laughs> Love that confidence. Pick three <laughs> words to describe who you are your first year in this business. Oh, a flake, um, frou-frou, and flimsy. <laughs> All F words. <laughs> <laughs> I like what you did there. <laughs> And last question, Vicki, if you could come back to life after you died, look your family and friends, look your kids in the eye and give them only one piece of advice about everything, about life, eternity, all of it. What would you say to them? Jump before you look. Jump before you look. Startup Nation, I love it. Any final wisdom? What's the one thing you want my listener to know about making their first 100K or more this year, 2020? Don't overcomplicate it. It's easier than you think. Amen to that. All right, Startup Nation. And what's the best way for them to get in touch with you if they so choose? I am on Facebook way too much for me to really want to admit, but Facebook is the best way. Just spell my name right, B-I-C-K-I-E and G-O-U-L-D. Got it. All right. Vicki, thank you so much for being on your first 100K. I really appreciate all the value you brought to my audience. I know they, they've been writing vigorously um, and they really want to share their story. So they could go to VickiGould.com if you want to get in touch with her. If you're inspired by her story and you're like, man, I know there's other writing coaches out there, but I really connected with Vicki. If that's the case, go to VickiGould.com and connect with the words lady. Vicki, I wish you God's love, peace, and joy in your life, girl. You too. Thank you, Joseph. Cheers. Startup Nation, you cannot show up authentically in your business without building faith in your business. If you want to have that conversation on the faith side of things, go check out my other podcast called Broken Catholic. On that show, I interview all different guests about why the world isn't working right now. Plus, I tackle unspeakable topics that you may secretly struggle with, but won't admit. We got to get your faith right to get your business right. Go to brokencatholic.com. I'm Joseph Warren, and you were made for greatness. So stop being a wuss and start being a winner. Have a blessed day, and I'll see you right back here next week.